You spook easily, Starling? Not yet, sir. He's past the others. The last cell. I'll be watching. You'll do fine. A killer is on the loose. Keeps them alive for three days. Then he shoots them, skins them, and dumps them. A rookie FBI agent is on his trail. He's got real physical strength, cautious, precise, and he's never impulsive. He'll never stop. Welcome to Movies, Charles and Seen, episode 41. My name is Crossman. I'm Wilson. And I'm Charles. And this week we watched the 1991 movie Silence of the Lambs. So Charles, tell us about Silence. Silence of the Lambs is about an FBI trainee named Clary Starling. And uh, she is assigned to speak with, I think he's a psychologist. and Psychiatrist. Uh, psychiatrist, cannibal, Hannibal Lecter in the hopes of revealing details about a serial killer named Buffalo Bill. And so throughout the movie, she has conversations with Hannibal Lecter. He wants to find out more about her. He gives her like cryptic clues about Buffalo Bill's identity and whereabouts. And over the course of the movie, she is able to figure out who Buffalo Bill is and finally bust him and save a senator's daughter. But in the process, Hannibal Lecter gets away. Setting up the sequels. Yep. Yeah. I picked this movie. I think it's a great movie. I think that it just is a masterclass in character-motivated storytelling. I think that it is tight as a drum. It just runs really, really well. It and it is also thematically rich in that it's about you know the male gaze and like how men consume women um, and how women are observed by men. Um, so it's just it's a joy to watch it every time. It it's a thriller in the truest sense of the word. And it's it's important that I think it's a thriller and a horror movie that has entered the mainstream and the canon in a way that very few other, especially modern horror and genre films have. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's important to have watched it for that reason. And there's just a lot of a lot of meat on the bones here. A lot a lot that you can dis discuss in this movie, you know, from many different perspectives that I think just make it an important part of the cinematic diet. Um, what do you think about it? How do you feel about this one, Charles? I liked it quite a bit. Good. Uh, I'm not sure if I felt like, I feel like maybe it was overhyped by how much it was, ref it's referenced in popular culture. Yes, often, which is um, yeah. Yeah, and so it, maybe I expected more for some reason. Um, but no, like, you know, I, I loved Anthony Hopkins' performance sure. in this one. It was quite incredible. Um, All 24 of minutes of it. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, a lot of interesting dialogue. Um, I was always captivated by what was happening on screen. Yeah. Uh, some very disturbing stuff uh, that I found probably more scary than any of the previous movies that really? we've seen. That's interesting because this is the I think of this movie really. It, it's categorized as a horror movie, and it is a horror movie. Yeah, but it is at least to me as much a horror movie as it is a crime thriller. Yes, yeah. and it, it, it does a lot of that. It is yeah, largely that, a crime that thriller. That was definitely a question in my mind: is like, is this a horror movie? Yeah, I mean, and, that, and uh, I think that is a little. It doesn't feel like a horror movie in the way you expected. A horror movie to be well, because like everything that happens in the film feels like it's within the realm of possibility. Yeah, if our if our understanding of horror movie is something supernatural, this is or, not a horror or movie. fantastic. Yeah. Right, like this is, is that a necessity for a movie I, to be a horror movie? I though? don't think of horror that way. Some people probably do. Um, I think that's a little that seems strict. fairly narrow for. Hey, I, I agree. A wide genre. Yeah, but I think that you could. Yeah, I think you can fairly describe this as a horror movie, um, and that it is correctly categorized that way. I think you can also fairly describe it as a. a Law and order thriller kind of yeah. movie, uh, and it works just as well. 
in either yeah. one. It's, it's really just a good, well-told story. Yeah. And um, I, I guess in that way, it can feel unexceptional in that it's just functional a lot of the times. It is very functional. Uh, but it still just keeps working. It just Every choice just feels like a good choice yeah. um, and a character-motivated choice. One thing that I felt took away from this movie for me a bit was that it fully had that kind of 90s movie look. Yeah. that I have mentioned before that I hate so much. <laughs> so much of this movie, it did like one interesting visual thing the entire way through, and the rest of it looked like those commercials for Lifetime movies. It had the same like bland color palette and like completely uninteresting camera angles and all that. And, you know, I'm a very visual person, so I like have a harder time getting into a movie or feeling truly attached to it if there isn't a good visual element to it. See, I... I know what you're talking about, and I'm not exactly positive how to articulate what it is. I don't think that it's a framing choice, because some of the framing decisions in this movie are brilliant and insightful and like add a lot to the film for mm -hmm. me. I think it has something to do with set design, Yeah. right? Like I think that there's something about some of the locations in this movie that lacks detail or like that isn't yeah. fleshed out in what you would want to say. Um, but even that I'm not positive about because I know what you're talking about and I'm not quite mm -hmm. sure how to pinpoint Well, the what thing it is. that I notice most that I hate the <clears throat> most is that 90s color palette yeah. where everything just is washed out with this kind of weird grayish brown tone. Yeah, it's not very a vibrant movie. Right. And it just looks, it's so bland. <laughs> I hear that. Yeah. Uh, so the one thing that I found interesting that they did visually in this movie that I mentioned before is the camera angle where you're right up against the faces of yep. the men that Jodie Foster is talking to. Yep. Um, there's lots of scenes where you're put kind of first person into Jodie Foster's viewpoint, mm -hmm. and she's always, you know, much smaller than the men around her, and yep. that's obviously done on purpose to make her seem more weak or vulnerable. Um, but yeah, it, it's terrifying to feel kind of locked into Anthony Hopkins's gaze. Um, you know, those scenes are like right. Mm -hmm up against his face and I think there's this weird effect where um, I think the camera's like stabilized against his eyes or something because it feels like his eyes are frozen and the rest of the scene is moving around his eyes um, and it kind of mirrors how uh, I guess Clarice would be staring him in the eyes and trying to gauge his character. Yeah, that, he's looking at the camera. Like that's what happens when someone looks right at the camera. Yeah. And that, yeah, that's that's what he's doing there. Yeah, but you also um, feel so close to him yep. and you know how terrifying of a person he is and you just can't get away from him. So even if there's like this glass or cage separating you, it feels like you're trapped with him and that's a very terrifying feeling. Yeah, that's definitely by design. Um, yeah. it, and it's you're right to catch that. Like it is, a, the, to me, the strong theme in this movie is that effect yeah. of being observed uh, by, the, by the man in this movie. How do you feel about this one, Crossman? Uh, I like it. Okay. I thought, I, no, I think there's like two incredible performances in it. Yeah. It's a very intense film. I think some of the things that you're speaking to are like endemic to a lot of like late 80s, 90s stuff where it just like mm -hmm. looked shitty. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, I would speculate that a couple things are going on there that films are becoming more difficult to finance starting in the early 90s because mm -hmm. um, I think that's where we start to see like the big focus on blockbusters and then the sh by the end of the 90s we're like only making blockbusters right mm -hmm. so these like smaller films are very difficult to get 
made, and I think that transformation kind of happens through through the '90s. Yeah. Okay. So I don't think that like you're you're not gonna get like infinite budget to, to shoot like a thousand feet of film yeah. forever out in the desert in Namibia <laughs> like Lawrence of Arabia is. Like, yeah. That's not gonna happen in the '90s because you're coming off a recession in the late '80s. Uh, a lot of these. Hollywood companies are starting to go public, and once you list on the stock market, there's this outside pressure to perform for the stock market, mm -hmm. and you start making a lot safer choices. You start cutting costs. You don't spend the money on the lenses. You don't shoot in super wide frame and do yeah. like ultra quality color processing. Um, VHS starts to come in, so things are being shot for VHS for home TV. That's a big transition that's happening. So I think there's just like a lot of like industry pressures to mm -hmm. cut corners, and I think that's what you're you're seeing. Yeah. Well, and you're seeing the the death of like the middle level movies, right? Like the middle budget movies. Yeah. Right. And this is like mm -hmm. right right at the beginning of that, where there was a time when like the big budget tentpole movies were really tentpole movies in the sense that yeah. they held up the tent for the smaller, to have space for the smaller films and the, the money that those brought in were used to finance the stuff that you see, like the great American cinema in the 70s. And mm -hmm. what studios learned or thought they learned was that you can just take that money and make another blockbuster and another so blockbuster. All pole, yeah, like, yeah, all pull and no tent. Yeah, all pull, no tent. Yeah. And um, I think that this is the beginning of that before you see stuff like Reservoir Dogs and Clerks, where these independent directors, that like, that culture hasn't developed yet. Like, we don't have that same Sundance culture. Yeah, it's expensive to shoot a film in the early right. 90s. You need right. giant cameras, and you need a giant crew to, to make things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now you can just go out and shoot on a DSLR. And, right, and, and yeah, you saw that culture of independent film develop in the 90s. Yeah. Um, and now it's a full, it's a, a thing that you know, is well-developed and mature. Yeah. Um, but And they've filled that void of... Yeah. Of the middle-level movies. Yeah. Middle and even the low. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And so, yeah, maybe this movie exists in a space that kind of, like, during that transition. Mm -hmm. And but I also think it's how people are starting to consume film, where you, get, you rent films at, at Blockbuster or Hollywood Video on VHS. The quality is never gonna match the quality of something in the theater mm -hmm. it's only gonna get worse so <laughs> yep. so why shoot Lawrence of Arabia right if yeah you know if the majority of your audience is gonna see it on their, their you know, 16 inch television CRT yeah. on VHS like it you know laser disc still exists in the early <laughs> 90s but it's a niche thing for rich people for, for rich like Home movie dorks. yeah yeah yeah, yeah, well, and, and, and that just never translates. Yeah, and, on this one, and does. we just never got back to that. Right, like this yeah. movie does translate to yeah. to a smaller screen. This is an intimate film, right? Like the drama takes place on characters' faces during yeah. conversations, right? Like there isn't a lot it, of action here. It feels like an HBO series. Yeah, well, it, it, in a good way, right? Like yeah. I think that it, it's like now it would be space. like a HBO series or yeah. like a Showtime series. Yeah, one of their yeah. short ones, but yeah, yeah, like and and it is a series, right? Like Hannibal yeah. is a show on network TV, but or you have the Night of on HBO, right? Yeah, any of those, like similar, very similar tonally. Yeah, so yeah. um, yeah, I think that that is that that is a good point. That it's, it's almost a, a made for VHS movie that won the Best Picture Oscar. <laughs> but yeah. Somehow. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that that is well taken, but it's still really well made, right? And it's still just yeah works. For me, just 
and it, impressive because it like it's a it's like a pretty chatty movie. Yeah. Like it's a lot of just like having conversations. Com- yeah, well, that's like, what it is. Yeah, I won't fault <laughs> it for what it is. Yeah, it's just a in, until the you know like the very end. I mean, I don't say it as a criticism. I think yeah. like, but it's funny because like it's a thriller, but it's also a thriller where people just like chat incessantly. <laughs> There's no like. Only until the very end is someone like, is she like in danger? Right. But just the presence of. There's still a feeling of danger that's conveyed. Yes. They do that really well. But it's like, it's a psychological danger, right? It's like. I mean, I really like the way that they introduced Hannibal's character. Yeah. um, And it made their first encounter so terrifying, despite only if. Despite the fact that I've only heard maybe one or two lines of dialogue about him. Yeah. Um, they do a lot to spark your imagination. Yeah, like every, and, and every line and exchange in that opening scene is is so useful, right? Like you you're learning so many things about these characters. It's it's developing the story about like they're looking for the serial killer and yeah. and all this stuff. But you're still seeing a little bit more of each character with every every line yeah. of dialogue, and it's just so efficient, right? Like, it's this... Yeah. He, the, it, he's famously on screen for 24 minutes and won the Best Lead Actor Oscar for that. Uh, and it's because he finds every little angle in all of these lines and, and uses his time so efficiently. I mean, it's a crisp uh, two hours. It starts movie. before you see him, though. Like, yeah. they, there's this big <laughs> build-up to when she sees him. Where it's described by her instructor, and then when she gets to the... What, the, the prison the asylum asylum yeah, yeah it's really closer what it is and you know the the warden tells her how to yep. speak to him you and then the rules. She, yeah and then she gets down there's like a lower level staff that also explains like what to do and then then this is like the genius part <clears> of introducing him she walks by like three or four other inmates who are yeah. just like psych, like animals yeah. essentially and then the like the calmness of Dr. Lecter's like yeah. very. He's yeah. just like overpowered. creepily standing right yep. there in the middle of his cell. It's really just waiting for her. Yeah, yeah. just like yeah. stiff, you yeah. know, not stiff, but like standing straight, like yeah. at attention, hair slicked back, hands behind his back, right? Yeah. Like he just it looks like exactly totally different than the three people that she walks by. Yeah. And he even yeah. appears like kind of small, like he's very yeah. thin and mm-hmm. almost diminutive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he has, uh, you know, a light voice that's. Has this like odd affect to it, but it, but it's still commanding, right? Like yeah. you, it, you listen yeah. to it, and he doesn't have to. Ra- he doesn't have to be loud. He doesn't have to raise his voice. Yeah, he's just immediately arresting uh, when yeah. when he speaks, and which is just all Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, right? like, it's just purely him. Yeah. just like have putting every little bit of his acting power out there. Yep. Um, yeah, and I don't know, again don't know who else was nominated, but I feel like uh, this one was probably well deserved despite the short runtime. It was. An amazing performance. Yeah, and he, uh, everybody forgets this, but he's not the first person to play Hannibal Lecter. I certainly forgot that. Who else did? I can look that up in a second. But there was a movie from '86 that was Red Dragon. That was before this. Yeah. Okay. Well, so a version of Red Dragon got shot in release in '86. Right. Because there's another one later on with that other guy. Yeah, that one. Was a mostly mostly failure, but it's another one of these films where people are like you should watch it because it's good. Okay, feel like every film. Yeah, ever. yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all movies are good. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and then like like that's that's forgotten because it's whatever. And then right. Hopkins comes in and plays Lecter in one of the great like film yeah. performances. Yeah. So it really goes to show that like owning this character <laughs> is is impressive. 
Like, yeah, like I think wouldn't he? They, AFI did their top 100 villains. Yeah, I think he was number one. I think he won or lost. But yeah, no surprise. Yeah, so, yeah he he, uh, he was up there, and then Clarice was the highest ranking female hero in their companion list mm -hmm. for the the best heroes of all time. That's kind of a stretch, but okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she was like six or something. Yeah. Um, why you put Ripley higher? Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. <Poor> hell yeah. <laughs> um, I wanted you raised this, Charles, and I think that it's really one of the more interesting choices in the film is how they frame the uh, dialogue sequences and the conversations yeah. and how they shoot them. Because um, you uh, you observed the correctly that Anthony Hopkins' character is centered in the screen yeah. when he's talking to Clarice, but that's not the first time in the movie when they use that technique. As right, the, I noticed the, it a few times. Right, because before that, uh, when she's talking to her commanding officer, whose name I can't remember, um, that the guy. The glasses dude? Yeah, the one with the glasses. Yeah. Um, when she's talking to him, it's just, he's framed the same way. Um, when she's talking to the head Crawford, doctor. Yeah, Crawford. Yeah. When she's talking to the uh, head doctor at the asylum, he's also framed that same way. Yep. Dead on they're the They're really the close to the screen. They're, they're close to the screen and they're looking at you, right? Yeah. Like they're looking at Clarice and they're looking at you. And... So I feel like Demi is priming us with these two male characters. It, I mean, and Crawford is lying to her, and the warden guy is hitting on her. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and he, so he primes us with that and then uses that same technique to frame Anthony Hopkins, making him one in a series of men who is leering at our character. Um, and I think yeah. one of the most common reads of this movie is that it's about the male gaze and mm -hmm. that it's about the the idea that the camera i feel like we probably mentioned this on another episode but the idea that the camera is using a presumed male perspective yeah to look at what the events that are happening on screen um, and this movie is a, a critique of that and i think that mm -hmm. you see it over and over again um, i want to be clear about this because i was talking about this movie with my parents recently and i gave my spiel about how this movie is about the male gaze and my dad is sitting across from me it's like okay but what does that have to do with the LGBT community <laughs> it took me a minute <laughs> and I did not mean male G-A-Y-S <laughs> but to be clear G-A-Z-E so audience we're talking about looking not homosexuality yes just want to be precise about this because there has been confusion in the past <laughs> so the, the dude who originally played Lecter um, yeah was uh, Brian Cox. Who, oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm supposed to who appears that in is. a bunch of stuff. You would recognize him. He's like the bad guy in the Bourne series. <coughs> one of the bad guys. One of the bad guys. Maybe I'd recognize series. a picture. Yeah. I mean, he looks like a, you know, you, frumpy British man. You definitely would. He's been in like, a, he's been in a lot of things. Wasn't and, he Bilbo? In the no, that was um, somebody else. That was Ash. Oh yeah, you're right. That was somebody. Uh, okay, never mind. I, aliens. Different British guy. Alien. Yeah, different British guy. Oh yeah. <laughs> Ian, I never, I never thought about that because I don't care about Lord of the Rings. No, oh, even though we made you watch Fellowship. Yeah. No? Okay. Um, but I did not realize that it was Brian Cox. So that's interesting. Originally, and the movie's called Manhunter. That's a bad title. Well, and the book is Red Dragon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speak, have you read Silence of the Lambs? No. I I have. I took a college. Uh, a, College course. Ian Holm is yeah. uh, who you were thinking of. Okay, yes, it is. Yes. Well. I, took, I took a class in college called uh, Mystery as Literature or something, and we read Thought and Subtle Lamps. It's actually pretty good. Um, it loses all of the feminist critique that is in this movie, which I think makes the movie superior. But um, it's, it's solid, just, you know, 
thriller, uh, tightly told like this one. Um, Did they change any significantly for the movie? Um, I read it a little while ago. I don't remember any big changes. I think it's generally pretty loyal, actually. Mm. Um, okay. So, yeah, in that respect, I, I don't think they needed to change that much. It's just a well-told story. Um, the, what, but what they added to it is this specifically cinematic mode right. of critique, which uh, is important. Um, the, I think the other moment where we see that is um, when she, they, go, they travel to some other town to look at the autopsy, and she is standing in the middle of the room with all of these male cops, and they're essentially surrounding her, looking yeah. down at her, and we have several moments where groups of men are all looking at the camera and almost leering at uh, Clarice Starling. Right. Um, before she's called back into the I also room. noticed when she gets on the elevator with <coughs> all the dudes with the red shirts. <laughs> yeah, right at the beginning. Yeah. She's way shorter than all of them. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't look up to see how tall Jodie Foster actually is, but they do, they shoot her short in this yeah. movie. They shoot her to make her look smaller. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of dialogue about how, like, <clears throat> is she the right person to be Oh, yeah. All over. This. Over. I mean, I mean, and they set it up from literally Which, the first... Oh, I'm sorry. Finish your shot. No, 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 no. Go for it. Uh, because they set it up right, literally from the first shot where she is running through the woods and doing this obstacle course by herself, mm -hmm. struggling with it by herself, and she gets called back to the base, and there's groups of men training together. Yeah. Right? It's all specifically groups of men running yeah. or doing their shooting practice or climbing over shit, and she's by herself. Right? Mm -hmm. And I think that you see that kind of technique over and over and over again, where she is cast as the only woman, or in some cases, she's the only person. Right. And with groups of men standing yeah. opposed to her. She has an ally in like the one other woman. Nameless character that we see. Nameless character. But it yeah. was interesting to show that like <clears throat> these women kind of like support each other right. within the academy. And they kind of figure it out together. Like yes. when they finally like get to the moment where they can like take the, make a big break. It's like them working together. Yeah, the other woman actually yeah. kind of figures yeah. it out. Yeah. And then she, right, she, she figures out it. the yeah. um, person you see every day yeah yeah you that what you see every day quote right was significant and really that's, that's, that's what the real breakthrough they get to the end of it triggers the whole thing yeah um speaking of which since we are, have arrived at it, that ending like that mm -hmm. sequence at the end had, had you known about that because that's a famous which bit where they like trick you as to what door they're at oh i hadn't heard of that how, how, did, how did it play for you I, it was just like a, oh my gosh, she's encountering the serial killer. Okay, yeah, because I remember when I first saw it, and I was, it, it totally caught me, caught me off guard. I was like, holy shit, like, she's right there. I was like, they were kind of trying to remember if the house was going to blow up on the SWAT team, because <laughs> that happens in Speed. <laughs> that happens in, yeah, that does happen in Speed. Yeah. Have you seen Speed? Yes, but like, <laughs> too long ago for me to remember that part of it. <laughs> but okay. it's shot in a very similar way, where it's yeah. like a nondescript suburban house, and the SWAT yeah. team goes in, and they're like, nothing's here, and then it like blows up. And the speed die. was just a few years after this. This is 91. The, yeah, they probably took it from <laughs> yeah, probably. this movie. Yeah, but it, yeah, it's, I, I think it works so well. Like It's, it's just a master class yeah. in, in filmmaking and like high-tension filmmaking. Like It just... I love that that whole sequence. Yeah, I think I was too focused on Buffalo Bill with the senator's daughter, right? Because she was trying to kidnap his dog to yeah. to try to yeah. get out. I feel and like so, that's a plan, <laughs> right? Right, and so I think I was a little too focused on that to notice what they were building up to with the SWAT team. Oh, really? And all that okay? Um, yeah, I, guess I was really like focused on what might happen to this poor girl who's trapped in this well. She gets out. There you go. It, yeah, but it, I didn't know at the time. <laughs> see, yeah, no. It's, I mean, I remember because yeah, because I remember when I first watched that and it was just 
absolutely blown away. Like, holy shit, she's right there, like, all of a sudden. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's one of my favorite moments in this movie. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. One of the, like, things that kind of troubled me about this movie this time around was its treatment of Buffalo Bill. Yeah, this, uh, this is a, yeah. a relevant part of the conversation. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. This, this is, like, one of the major critiques of the movie. I think even when the film came out. Oh, absolutely. It was protest. Yeah. Yeah. So the motivation that's described within the film for his consumption of women is that he has that he's a transsexual no they kind of describe it in like a they they, they specifically yeah. say that he's not trans and yeah. that he's not gay yeah. right they don't draw it out very well which i think is where the problem yeah, I was well, lecture yeah lecture says that yeah right where he, he and says like and in, they, in his analysis of buffalo bill who was a former patient it's not because right. he was a transsexual, even though he believes that Buffalo Bill, right. the person believes that. Right, which is far too subtle a distinction. The, the, the movie doesn't draw it out well enough, yeah. and you can't really expect audience members to pick up on that. Yeah, and they say yeah. it's much more horrific and, and troubling. So, yeah. a few things there. <laughs> that means that it is also horrific and troubling, yep. and that... Buffalo Bill, as a person, is not able to recognize his own gender because mm -hmm. he is so psychologically troubled. Which is really, which is the difference between that and dysmorphia in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and it, it sort of portrays the transsexual character as not being able to have like an understanding of his own gender or yeah. her own gender and who they are, which is what we're dealing with as like a society right now where right. people seem to be able to med medic <laughs> medicalize this condition and tell people who believe they're one gender that they are wrong and that they are mm -hmm. actually another gender. Yeah, and that's, uh, that is so what surprisingly relevant because I feel like we didn't we haven't speak resolved about trans for like 25 years and suddenly it's like back. Yeah. yeah. And the other major critique is that yeah. Buffalo Bill is essentially an amalgamation of like the two major gay tropes in cinema up until that point where gay, gay men as portrayed in American film are either outlandishly flamboyant, ridiculous characters that nobody can take care seriously yes. or villains, right? Or killers. They're like predatory right. creatures. Right. Wait, and who, who are the latter examples of the latter in film? I wish I could. I wish there was a, a stereotype I could think of off the top of my head, um, but that I will. I will yeah, have something to. It, it is a thing. I can it is. Think of it is a, a common critique that the the gay effeminate character as villain is uh -huh. is a real thing, and uh, we have this serial killer who also dances around in drag with his poodle. Like it's both of these tropes at the same time. Um, and this movie was protested because of it. Like, they showed up at the Academy Awards, mm -hmm. uh, LGBT rights groups, and it attacked Demi in the in the news. Even uh, even just, like, how sort of, like, if some characters are portrayed as being, like, effeminate, like, kind right. of goes down that road a bit. So, like, <laughs> you see this in, like, Bond villains. Where yeah, they they have, a like, point. a... Yes eccentricity in their like lifestyles and they they speak Usually in like kind of implied yeah 300 yeah is a, i think a good example of this um, okay uh the joker right the joker has this kind of like prancing quality to him mm -hmm. I, I think that you can even if they're not specifically said to be homosexual 
they're coded as feminine, yeah. which is coded as homosexual. Lots yeah, of Nazi Nazis, Nazis on film are often this yeah. way. Sure, and you see Nazi symbolism in this film, too. Mm -hmm. Like, there are mm -hmm. swastikas in Buffalo Bill's yeah. house. Yeah. And, yeah. So, yeah, there's a no, lot of, like, yeah, there's a, a lot a lot of gay politics here that are, are complex and cor are correctly critiqued. Um, well, how was his character portrayed in the book? Same way. Essentially. Same, okay. Yeah. Like there, it, it's it, this is a very loyal adaptation right. of the source material, um, and because the movie that Jonathan Demi made right after this was Philadelphia, and mm. the theory is that Philadelphia is his apology for his uh, portrayal of James Gum in this movie. Not the best apology, maybe, but he. Mm -hmm. I read so I actually researched this a little bit before the episode, um, and he gave numerous interviews about this issue. And one of the points he raised after Philadelphia came out and there were still critiques from the gay community, he said, I want that. Like, I want people to be coming along and telling me how we can do better and mm -hmm. how, telling me how I should have done this differently. Like, that's why I'm putting this out there so that I can have a conversation about it. And he's saying this in, like, 1996. Mm -hmm. And it's, like, in a lot of ways, the perfect response to nice. doing something incorrect. And I think it speaks to... He, like Jonathan Demi's compassion as a filmmaker mm -hmm. and both and as a person. Um, so he passed away recently. He passed away this year. Oh wow! And I feel like that's a real loss. Like he was not just a good filmmaker. He was like a truly good person that cared about like compassionate portrayal in film mm -hmm. um, and listening to what his audience has to say to him, especially when they're oppressed groups. If I mean, if he can do that when he's you know, 70 years old or whenever he was making these movies. Uh, we all can. And yeah. uh, it comes to a head here. So are all of the critiques of Sounds of the Lambs well-grounded in this respect? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but Demi's response is a model, as far as I'm concerned. That's good to hear. Yeah. There's too many times where <coughs> the director or whatever, the filmmaker, will just buckle down yeah well and get defensive yeah they're almost it's, it's always infuriating almost all the time and yeah. you see it from young directors you see it from modern directors and these are folks that really are supposed to know better particularly with whitewashing yes yeah yeah, yeah. and, and the, these are groups we think of as progressive as liberal as you know le the left and they're not able to handle this here's jonathan demi in his 60s at the youngest when he made this movie because mm -hmm. he was i think 80 or 90 when he passed mm -hmm. and he's able to come to grips with it and respond in a mature, thoughtful way. Yeah. Uh, you know? He was only 45 when he made this. Really? Yeah. <laughs> How old was he when he died? Uh, doing math. 73. 73. 73. Yeah. yeah, I guess I forgot how long, how long ago the 90s were. <laughs> yeah, don't we all? <laughs> yeah. 10 years ago. Yeah, exactly. Always 10 years I ago. I mean, it looks like a long time ago. It was. It, I mean... <laughs> Well, and they would have shot it in like eighty nine or ninety, right? Because right? it comes out in ninety one. Yeah. So, like, uh, the the cars are like, I mean, but damn, yeah. a long time ago. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, nonetheless, but the cars in the film are also old for the film because they're right. supposed to transmit that like they're sort poor. of like a There's, yeah yeah they're poor right and, right. So I mean, but I mean, nonetheless, uh, he's still he's forty five at the time. He's f fifty when he makes Philadelphia, or almost fifty when he makes Philadelphia. Yep. Um, you know, that's a middle-aged man. He grew up in the 40s or whatever, 50s. Born in 44. Yeah. So, 
Well, it just means he has that compassion built in. It's, I think it does. A lot of people don't. Yeah, I think you can see it in. I think you can see it in this film. Yeah. I think that he really truly cares about these characters. Um, I think you see it in the movie. Yeah, particularly Clarice, who like. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly, the, the focus. Yeah. There's a lot of like. Like we as viewers are should take her very seriously. She's very capable and Wait. very good at what yeah. she does, even at a young age. <coughs> and. And, and, and Jodie Foster is just perfectly cast for that, right? Yeah. Because like, she is, she looks like a serious person and yeah, behaves yeah, like totally. a serious person. Yeah. 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 So it's great to see that. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and and there's nothing. I mean, it's a movie about the male gaze, but there is no male gaze in this movie. Right? Even like, even mm-hmm. movies today of yeah. like about young women, like made by young women, are like they're like these like totally lost characters. It seems like yeah. like the Amy Schumer. Movie was just like the fuck that movie. I don't I don't know how to <laughs> do anything or like have relationships. So what? Do, what yeah, I, or I mean, like, I think yeah. perhaps a better example because they're better movies. Sofia Coppola, right? Like she makes characters like that all the time. Like you look at Lost in Translation. It's this you know, about a young girl who can't find anything to do in Tokyo. Right? You know, mm-hmm. and yeah, but that's yeah. like all of her films, though, right? Or about yes. like rich <laughs> rich people don't know how to spend their money. Yeah, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, but specifically rich women, right? Like, like they're, they're yeah. movies about women. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that that is it, it's important that yeah. Clarice like has has a direction and a competency. She's I feel good. like we never see characters like this. It rarely, like, yeah, almost ever. Yeah, I mean, she's clearly more clever than like most of the other people on screen because she yeah. immediately clues in on the riddles that uh, Lecter is secretly giving her. Yeah, um, she realizes she's being toyed with by an older man in his easy like probably because it's happened a lot. Yeah, yeah. What I, one of the touches that I like um, is that Lecter is wrong about Clarice frequently. Right, like he makes these predictions about yeah. her life, like oh, your dad was a coal miner and all this yeah. stuff, and he's just wrong. Like her dad was a cop, and he didn't, you know, abuse her or anything. He died, right? Like he he keeps, he's able to predict what James James Gum is like. He's able to predict what you know the guy at the or the like the senator is going to respond to. Like he's able to to pick at all these things, but he can't figure the, out the other men. Right, exactly. He can't figure out Clarice, right? Although she seems rather bothered <clears throat> by his initial um, prediction of her, which implies that he hit on You know what it was? Um, it wasn't scripted. Uh, cuz when Anthony Hopkins was reading that line and he says coal miner with the Virginia accent, yeah. The accent wasn't in the script or any any of the rehearsals, Anthony Hopkins improvised it on the spot. Right. And Jodie Foster, who actually has that accent, thought that Anthony Hopkins was mocking her. Oh. So her like kind of her, her being taken aback and her like disgusted ex- expression was sincere. <laughs> like that All was right. yeah, that was her thinking that that's pretty incredible. Yeah, that Anthony Hopkins was making fun of her accent, um, which is uh, incredible because that's exactly how Clarice would respond to that right like because she is trying to hide her accent she then she can't and she would probably take offense to someone mocking it uh, and that's exactly what Lecter was doing there was making fun of her accent okay because um, I felt like it <clears throat> changed the meaning of what the scene was intending then because it felt like <clears throat> it was implying that he had predicted her right but he, he situation did. or at least the Maybe not the specific details of her situation, <laughs> but at least the general idea of her yeah, I mean, life it, story. And that's just it. Like, it's this this push-pull. Like, I think that, that he gets close, but he's not mm. correct, right? Like, he doesn't yeah. nail it. And, like, there's other people where he nails it. And 
not with her. And I think that that's yeah. important, that, that he's not able to really get her all the way, all the time. Um, yeah. Just some of the way, some of the time. Huh. Which is why I think he respects her. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like there's that great line when they're talking on the phone at the end of the movie where he says, the world is more interesting when you're in it. And mm -hmm. yeah, I think that's the, the most uh, honest thing. He probably says the whole movie. Versus like all the mm -hmm. other characters <clears throat> who kind of like just see him as a monster and like, right. uh, are like he's an, they underestimate him, yeah. even though he's, what he's done is monstrous right. and well, dangerous. Well, and and uh, he thinks of them as trivial. And yeah. And is often correct. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that's how he escapes, right? Yep. Like, he knows that, he knows how to manipulate the men who release him. Yeah. 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 He does successfully. Yeah. And easily. That escape scene that. is awesome. Really? You like that? Because for me, that's kind of the nadir of this movie. Really? Yeah. Yes. Yes. It was intense. It was messed up. It showed uh, Lecter's capabilities. It, when, when he like crucifies the one yeah. cop and like disavows disavows yeah, him, like that. I mean, that's when I think the movie is at its most ridiculous. Um, I also feel like well, it's the, not possible. In, like, wait, there's the no way the timing would work out. Um, the whole like face over his face thing when they put the mask on him doesn't make any sense at all. I feel like it, it's the part of the movie that is most incongruous with the, what the rest of the film is doing. Right, like that. That's what I think. I mean, that's one of the other criticisms, criticisms of the movie. Right, is the violence. In the, the movie is extreme. There's some graphic depictions here. Yeah, and yeah. that scene in particular is the most violent e, yeah. part. That, I mean, that's not, I, I'm not much. I understand why people are bothered by violence. That is yeah. not what I dislike about that scene. That sequence, like that. just that it's unbelievable. It, there's that, and that it doesn't fit with the rest of the movie, right? Like you don't uh, like Lecter is successful up until that point, like because he is he, he's a cycle because of his psychological violence. Right. Well, they do imply his capabilities of physical violence. Right, and I, I, I wish there was a way that he could have engineered his escape such that it wasn't just him killing a bunch of people. Mm -hmm. Right, like that. It's a, it's a well done sequence. Right, mm -hmm. like in in a vacuum, it's well made and it's good filmmaking. I feel like it doesn't fit well with the rest of the movie. So this isn't a yeah. maker critique. Like I don't think it kills the movie or anything. I don't think it's even that bad. But it's for me the part that. I, when I'm watching it, or whenever I watch this movie, it just feels like I'm watching some other kind of movie. I can see what that happens. It's such a tonal shift from the rest of the movie, because yeah. the rest of it's like very dialogue-heavy, character-focused <laughs> yeah. um, mystery. Yeah, and, and right? it's and all of a sudden... it turns into this weird monster horror slasher. Yeah, almost an action movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, I can see what you mean. Yeah, so I, I like this sequence quite a lot. I yeah. it, it's, it's well. I understand why people would like it. It's yeah. well-made. I think like the explosion of violence just shows like kind of what we've been building up for we don't see him in action like at all up right. until that moment that's right. true and then it it shows what a monster he truly is because he can get that. act on it and yeah. the the disturbing violence as well yeah right like he bites somebody's face yeah yeah like, <laughs> and it, cuts it off and yeah. then disembowels somebody like it's <laughs> yeah i think a lot of the idea insane. of his character is to have him seem relatively unassuming since he's kind of like this oldish yeah. man uh, who doesn't have the typical like threatening kind of voice, that sort of thing. But at the same time, you've already been told this story about how he messed up um, like a nurse when they were trying to give mm -hmm. him a CAT scan or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Right? And so there's this like understanding that he'll kind of trick you to let your guard down and strike 
in an instant. Well, he's muzzled so, too throughout. He has to wear the mask. And yeah. So they're really scary. But I think masks. this is one of the yes. critiques of the sequel, Hannibal, mm. that it's mostly that part and not yeah. the psychological e- e- part. E- yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think that. that's why people liked Red it's Dragon. It's the classic, like, picking the wrong thing that people liked about a movie to make <laughs> right. a sequel. Right. Well, I think that's why people liked Red Dragon, because it was kind of a return to the more psychological side of things. Right, and that's a prequel, right? Red, Red Dragon. Red Dragon's a prequel. And yeah. they cast mm-hmm. Cillian Murphy? Ed Norton. Ed Norton plays Spectre? No, I think it's Anthony Hopkins. Oh, really? Just made to look young. Okay. Uh, I might be wrong. Okay, you're probably right because I haven't seen any of this. No, I know movies. Anthony Hopkins was in it. I looked it up. Okay. I haven't seen it, but I looked it up. It's yeah. Okay, I'm. Th- yeah, yeah. It's it's just him, and he's like made to look younger. Younger. Okay. And Ed um, Norton's in it. Ed Norton's in it, and Ralph Fiennes is the bad guy. Yeah. I think. He's played a lot of big villains then. So he's a serial killer. He's Voldemort. I he's remember liking Red Dragon when okay. I saw it. I haven't seen it in ages. But, I've never seen it. Um, plus, like, Philip Seymour Hoffman's in it. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, yeah. It's a good... I don't know anything about well, this I'm movie. I'm surprised you haven't seen it. Yeah, I missed yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. You, you haven't seen it, right, Charles? No. Red Dragon. Okay, I'll, I should put it on the list then. There's a very funny South Park scene making fun of Red Dragon. <laughs> 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 Gotta watch it just to like, watch this like scene. Like so many things, right? Well, he... Does this spoil it? I, I don't think so. At one point in the film, the Red Dragon like forces a character to sit and look at a slideshow of his like of art, and then like his transformation into the Red Dragon. Sure. And it's like he like keeps clicking through <laughs> yeah. the slides. He's like, "Do you see?" And then like the <laughs> film like it right. keeps building and building and building. And um, in South Park, there's a serial killer who captures Cartman and forces him to look at his vacation photos in the same way. <laughs> he's like, do you see? Do you see? <laughs> okay, that's, that's pretty good. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the other thing that I think they're doing with Lecter in this movie, um, that's not, I don't think it's so much that they're trying to make him look like a weaker character. Mm-hmm. I think they're trying to make him look like a refined character. Right? Yeah. So you have him listening to classical music, he has. Uh, he knows all this stuff about uh, cuisine. <laughs> um, he, he can uh, draw Florence from memory. He can draw Florence from memory, right? Like he likes to read. He's depicted like he's an old timey car, right? right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like he he has all these trappings of like wealth, uh, wealth, and like very iconic, you know, stereotypical notions of what wealth and refinement look like. Even just the fact that he has like a doctorate and right, yeah, he went. He has he has a bunch of degrees. Um, and I think that played by Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, they're, they're contrasting that with his barbarous nature and what he's actually yeah. like. Um, and I think that that's an important uh, contrast uh, mm-hmm. within the character, right? Like they torture him by making him watch gospel shows, right? Like <laughs> yeah. that kind of thing. Um, he's like a vampire in that way, right? Yeah, where vampires are like counts and like yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. And they ref- and refer to him as such in the film. They someone refers calls him a vampire at one point. Oh, I forget that. Yeah. So okay. Oh, yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. You, <laughs> you did it. Okay. Um, Made the connection on my own, <laughs> or maybe it was subtle. It sub- subconsciously it worked its way. Accepted. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about the last the, the last sequence uh, when she's in the yeah. basement because uh, I think that that might be the best sequence in the movie. Um, huh. When uh, she fancies that she, you know, she ends up at uh, Buffalo Bill's house, yeah. figures out that it's him down in the basement. I think that really all that the movie is trying to say comes together when she, he turns out the lights or he cuts the power. Um, she has her gun, she can't tell where she is. He has his night vision goggles on, and we get this great 
shot from Buffalo Bill's perspective, looking at Clarice in the dark with his night vision goggles as she stumbles around. He reaches out to almost caress her with his left hand yeah. and doesn't, and then reaches out with a gun in his right hand to kill her. And it, to me, that's that's masterful filmmaking. That's mm -hmm. everything that this movie is trying to say in a single visual moment. Mm -hmm. That here are here is a man viewing a woman that can't view him back and interacting with her the two ways that film has interacted with, with women since <laughs> really the dawn of film, right? Yeah. Violently or sexually. Yeah. That's it. And that is so brilliant to me. And the way that Jodie Foster finishes it or ends it by throwing a rock to put light in to show what's actually going on is just such a perfect metaphor. Is that what happened? Yes, mm. it's, yeah, she breaks a window. And I there's thought she, no. what I, what she I saw was he him. cocks his gun and she hears it, so yes. she immediately reacts and turns around and shoots him, she, yeah. but in doing so, also shoots. a few shots like okay. breaks the wall okay. behind. She, she breaks a window is the, the important yeah. part, right? She, yeah. Yeah. She, she, she opens a light in. <laughs> right, to show what's actually going on, to, to, to shed light on what he's doing and how he's interacting with her. And to me, like that whole sequence there is really just the movie in a nutshell. On a thematic level. Yeah, it also okay. kind of like, you know, reveals the terror for what it is. It's yeah. just some guy in a basement. Yeah, that's that true. Yeah, yeah, that he's not, you know, some great power. Yeah, you know, he's he's not uh, he's not Hannibal, right? He's <laughs> he's a guy with a, a house in a small town, and a and a unfortunate uh, fetish. Yeah, uh, coming back <laughs> to like we talked about this last episode about like sort of suburban terror. That's yeah, and this yeah. movie like plays into that a lot. This movie plays into like a lot of like suburban myths, particularly of around of like not, not lower even, class this white is, people. Yeah, this yeah. is more of a rural horror, right? Yeah, but it's still it's very nineties because there's all these things in the nineties <clears> where like all these rumors about like things that could happen to kids on Halloween and sure. like people yeah. which like, all were like, made up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this movie like plays into that a lot, right? Where yeah. people are just being abducted uh, like at their apartment and like being killed and Yeah. Mm -hmm. And obviously it shows that it's like an extreme thing but it make because it's the only story within the film it seems like normal within yeah. this world that like yeah. this is what's happening so like it feels the same way as like the razor blade and the apple stuff yeah. <laughs> where it's just like there's these evil people out there yeah. and they're always trying to get you yeah. it's like very like <laughs> suburban or like rural suburban fears like yeah that was one of the things that because I tried to watch the TV show and I know it apparently gets great later on but I, I couldn't get through the first season the Nicholson one? yes um, but I couldn't get through the first season because the beginning of it is just like a, a killer of the week style structure. Yeah. And it just makes no sense that there's this many ser serial killers running around in, yeah. in the D.C. metro area. <laughs> Although they do say that there are like a lot of active serial killers at all times. We just like don't we know. We just don't know. They, yeah, because they're like very capable right. killers. Right. Well, this is the TV universe where serial killers are around every corner. <laughs> and apparently very detectable because they end yeah. up finding a new one every week. Yeah. Um, so I, I get... And they I, wait for the other ones to finish? Right. I, or something? I don't know. I, I wasn't clear it's on like that. It's like the Blacklist, too. It's a, I've never seen that one. Same. Okay. Same thing, but not serial killers. Okay. Just like criminals. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. The Blacklist is the list of like criminals. Like sure, I yeah. guess that makes sense. <laughs> uh, also, the woman main character who's being helped by a uh, actually it's a lot like Sounds yeah, of the I'm Lambs. putting that together now. Um, the dude from Boston Legal, 
Spader? James Spader. Spader. James Spader. He, he plays this guy who's like right. in captivity and he's he knows all these oh, other criminals okay. and or whatever. The like the female investigator, he like helps her. And okay. Have you sure, seen yeah. so, uh, apparently this is a throw up because have you seen Luther? Uh, it's the British. I watched yes, one and a half criminal. episodes yes. of that. Okay, uh, it's the, the Idris Elba show. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's excellent. It's really. It's really yeah. The first season is really good, um, and the setup is very similar. Where they he meets a female killer at the beginning of this movie, the Idris Elba cop yeah, character. Yeah, the, the flip. They swap the genders. Yeah. And she is giving him advice how to solve his crimes. The major and I think brilliant difference is that the Idris Elba cop is a huge fuck up and like <laughs> is constantly like just missing the killer and like stumbling upon a very fresh crime scene that if he had figured it out earlier he would have been able to yeah. prevent and so nice. like the major theme throughout the first season anyways is that he is constantly just a, a step behind a beat too slow um, which is stands in contrast. Because he wants to beat everything up. Right, right yeah, because like he's too masculine. Slot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, which stands in, in contrast to Clary Starling here who act, does actually prevent the kill at the end does save the girl. Right. Um, I th and one thing I'm noticing now is I think she, some of the male <clears throat> characters are so absorbed in recognition yeah. about the crime and she is portrayed as not caring about that and just more caring about actually saving the daughter's life and figuring out what's going on. And so there's that kind of difference there where the men are all like kind of jockeying for attention and position with each other. And she's just trying to get stuff done. Yeah, I mean, the most egregious example of that is the warden character. Yeah. Right, who you see it passing yeah. a few times talking about how he cracked it wide open and how his yeah. years of treatment with Lecter led to this big breakthrough yeah. and obvious nonsense. No, he, he just listens in on their conversations <clears throat> and tries to steal the information. Right, exactly. And uh, and then that comes so back to him at the end. Gets he's, it. He's going yeah, yeah. to kill yeah. him, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Presumably, I, I like this little pun. I mean, I've heard the line before, but it's nice to see it in context. <laughs> I'm having a friend for dinner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, yeah, good. Yeah, because there's a few famous lines. There's that one. There's the I had his liver with uh, fava, fava beans, beans and, and Chianti. A Chianti. Um, Chianti, I guess he pronounced it. Yeah, I, I assume he's I correct. Um, and then the way he says "Hello, Clarice." Yeah, um, and all the Buffalo Bill stuff. Yeah, like I every get those references <clears throat> now. Every Buffalo Bill line in this movie that ruined that song. <laughs> oh, by horses at the oh, end. Yeah, he does. You like you see him like naked at the doing end. His he's doing dance. his dance. It's like, damn, this is a good song, and I'm like, could never not think about this scene. <clears throat> like, <laughs> yep. And the other one is um, American it's like Girl. a really good like '80s song. It is. Yeah, yeah, it is a good song. Um, and American Girl by Tom Petty, which is the one that she's singing. She's like captured too. Yeah. Right. Or, yeah. or it happens like right after. <clears throat> right. She's right. You she's get singing a that Zodiac song. Zodiac scene where she gets yeah. Tom that Petty was apparently rest in peace, Tom Petty today. today. <laughs> yeah, today, yeah. Yeah. So you'll be hearing this two weeks later. Big but loss. Yeah. Today was the day that he died. Uh, we're recording this. This has so. been confirmed. I haven't seen like confirmed that he was like actually. I uh, I heard that he was on life support. Um, I don't know if he's actually passed yet. Yeah. So that's a drag. The, the audience yeah. will know. Uh, yeah. Because they're going to listen to this. Of those like later. classic rockers, he's like one of the few like actually good ones. Well, he's so reliable, right? Like yeah. every song he wrote was a hit. Like it's just hit after. And hit. they're good. Like they yeah. hold up well compared to like if you try to listen to like. <clears throat> 
Van Halen or whatever. Yeah. Van Halen or like Kiss or something. It's like unlistenable. <laughs> Van Halen's held up pretty well. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. Right. You're, you're a bigger guitar fan yeah. than the rest of us. Um, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that song's in here too and Goodbye Horses. And other than that, like there's not much uh, music. Yeah, there's some famous person did the soundtrack. I remember looking at this. Okay. I, I didn't it look was at Howard it at Shore. Howard Shore. He was in the opening yeah. credits. Oh, okay. He's, I, I messed up. Although I, I just remember most of the <clears> non like copyrighted music just feeling very boring. It's I mean it's fine. It, it, Again, it kind of contributed to the lifestyle or lifetime yeah, yeah, okay, feel of the movie because the, the usual credits also went absurdly long into the movie. Yes. And that like yes. that made it feel like TV too. Yeah, where it was like yeah, minute too. like fifteen. I felt like we were still like <laughs> seeing Credits. Yeah, when there and there, it was like big text, like that took over the screen. It's like okay, yeah, in like a crappy, like no one thought about it. Fine, yeah, just like yep. put it yep. on screen. Like it still wasn't papyrus. Yeah, at least it wasn't that. Well, I don't think papyrus is even designed at that point. No, lucky yeah. them. Good. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that I noticed that too <laughs> with the credits. That made it feel a lot like TV. Yeah, it was like yeah. I mean, but I think it because throughout TV, like the first act is like a lot it's of all credits, credits usually. Yeah, yeah. I, I, but I think it speaks to just how well told this story is that mm. all of that stuff can still be going on, like a relatively generic soundtrack, yeah. the dumb credits thing, like some some like almost too bright lighting sometimes that mm-hmm. gives it more of a TV look. But it's still like the movie still just yeah. works. It just it just works. And I, I think that's just all about the fundamentals of storytelling that this movie it's, does. It's well written. Yeah, it's, it's well written. It's yeah. it's well acted. It's it's well constructed. Yeah, uh, like just the narratively, it's well constructed. It's it has a strong thematic through line. Mm-hmm. Like it just has all this basic basic stuff that if you do right, you'll get a good story. I think and the here we go. set of or the, like the setting of West Virginia is also like well yeah. cont- contained. Yeah, and like fits this. <laughs> movie really well. Yeah, because there's kind of a eeriness to the, the location. I mean, that's why Stephen King sets all his books in Maine, right? right. Where it's like slightly rural communities like yeah. in, in the like you can't put your finger on it, but it's like late summer, early fall mm-hmm. like throughout. <laughs> and yeah. yeah. Well, it's like yeah. there's people around and you know your neighbors, but at the same time like, you know, people are kind of spread out. Yep. Yep. Yeah, um, there's like that kind you, of creepiness you, to it. You're yeah. unsure if your neighbors are up to something. You feel like law enforcement might take a while to get there if something happens. Yeah, if, if feel. I mean, it's a naturally isolated, isolating place to live. Yeah, um, which is why some people like it so much. Um, but yeah, it's you get this feeling that like someone could be getting away with something if they wanted to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it turns out that that's exactly what happens here. Yep. Yeah. They're just in their house. Nobody's going to check on them. Yeah, yeah. And they're not in an apartment. They even mentioned specifically that this killer did not live in an apartment so they could get away with doing this stuff in their house. Yep, because yeah, it would take a lot of time, right? It would take time for him to yeah. carve up all these bodies and everything. Yeah, yeah. you need, like, space and time. Yep. Yeah, and a basement. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well. The girls like, well. 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 Yeah. Well. yeah. <laughs> There was uh, one moment I really liked in this movie, separate from all this stuff, where um, they go to that police station to investigate the body, and her instructor, Clarice's instructor, kind of like talks to the chief and says, like, "Oh, we have to kind of talk alone without the women around." Or something. Oh, yeah, I know like what you're gonna mention. Yeah, go ahead. And then later on, she's like, "Why did you do that? That was a really shitty thing to do." And he says, "Oh, you know, I just have to play the game. You know how men are, and whatever." And she says. Something like, "Well, you're a leader. It's up to you to set the yeah. example." And I really, I really like that moment. That yeah, line. It's, it's something a, that still applies to this day. <clears throat> yeah, it's a super important lesson that a lot of people haven't learned. And 
It's, it, I mean, it's kind of preachy, right? It's kind of like, here's the lesson. It's, it's a little out Which there. Is, it's a little obvious. But I think that's but, fine. Yeah. Like, I think it's fine for movies to do that well, now and then. She also, yeah. as, again, as like a, there's like a room full of, like, sheriffs. Yeah. Or like. Staring her down. Yeah. Yeah. And they're all conversing. And she's the one that's able to get them to leave because she is, like, also Appalachian. Mm-hmm. Like, they hear her accent. Yeah. And she's just, like, she's nice to them, but she's, like, we need you to leave and let us do our work. Right. And it seems the implication that I read into it was that be- because of her accent, they treat her that's a good seriously yeah. versus <laughs> the FBI guy who's, like, trying to be on the phone and, like, trying to get all this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I can see and how he, that would be because, like, yeah. The FBI has this kind of higher class association compared to the local police, and so I can see how they might be like, "Oh, we, we want we don't want to let we don't want to let the FBI step all over us or whatever." Mm-hmm. But then they see her as this kind of local um, that they're more willing to help. Yeah. yeah, but these guys are also like they're not just like local cops; they're like they're uh, like highway patrol or like sheriffs guys. Mm-hmm. So that's like even that's like a step that's above. county level. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. so they they would have a lot of clout. Uh-huh. Even, even though the FBI would, you know, technically right, and have enough self-importance, they would feel yeah. insulted. And yeah, they, exactly. they even mentioned that earlier because when the um, what's his name comes into uh, and says, you know, thanks for having us in your uh, on your scene or whatever, and the sheriff guy says, well, we didn't invite you. You decided to come. That's what the that's what the feds do. And like, so there is this little bit of a turf war. Um, that they touch on yeah. uh, before that. And it really adds to the small town nature because the funeral yeah. home is also where they're the doing corner. Their, yep, where they're doing and the like, There's no separation between yeah. the two. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is, yeah, very small town. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's a good pickup because, yeah, I missed that with the accent and, like, her being a local. But yeah. that's true. Um, when did you first see this movie, Rosman? Probably when I was in high school. Yeah. Just doing the rounds and the stuff you hadn't seen yet. Yeah, I mean, you just, like, in October, like, doing exactly what we're doing. Yeah. In October, yeah. you watch horror Doing the thing that I never got around to doing until now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, it was, it's a scary film. Yeah, you were, you were scared. Because I, I think of it as a horror movie, but I watch it as a thriller, I think. Like, I don't get that scared by it. I think there... Like, I'm into it, and I'm thrilled by it, but mm-hmm. I don't feel that. I think there's a number of, like, kind of creepy thrillers that get to me that are actually, like, not horror films technically okay you know what one that really got to me like upon re-watching it um a few years ago which is not a horror film at all but it is kind of like a political thriller is um all the president's men that's a great movie mm-hmm. have you seen that charles seen that towards the end i remember watching it being like this is like really creepy because well, uh, they get at this idea that like it's so much bigger than you and there's nothing you can do about it right? not like, just that, it imposes this like, powerlessness yeah, like, they yeah. could, the threat at the end is, like, they could kill you. And get away and, with it. And get away with it. Yeah, and it would and, be trivial. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, they get to that also in, um, uh, what's the Spielberg film? Munich. Munich. I love it. That happens in Munich, too, to yes. the characters. I, that's yeah. might be my favorite. Spielberg that one didn't creep me out, though. The All the President's Men was actually, like, it's shot like a horror film. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, I, I haven't watched it from that angle but that's interesting and i watched it when i was much younger and like was like totally fine i was like oh, this is a cool political movie and then like re-watching it like five or six years ago it was like damn this movie's like really creepy okay like, that's interesting dang. yeah yeah because I, I do definitely remember being scared or at least creeped out watching munich um specifically the scene when 
he is in his later on in the movie when he's in his bedroom. Yes, and he's like looking for the yeah. Bomb that's that's terrifying. That isn't there. Yeah. Like, and he ends up sleeping in his closet. Like, yeah. God, that's that's like perfect Spielberg. It it is so good. Yeah, yeah. Um, we should do that movie. We should. We should also do all the presents. We should do both of these, which movies. is yes, <laughs> very good movie. We'll put them <laughs> yeah. on the list. Yeah, we should put them on the list. You keep talking about Munich. You're making me want to see it. It's so good. I yeah. love Munich. I think it's a, such a great movie. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll pick it one of the, uh, after October, I guess. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, any closing thoughts on this one, Charles? Oh, I think I've given all the thoughts. Yeah, you've had as usual a lot of good input here. Um, Thank you. Yeah, is this a, is this a recommend then? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. I would say so. Good. Uh, I guess I should chime in about how this movie scared me more than a lot of the horror movies we've seen. Oh, I did it? Please share. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I can... What I can put my thumb on is that um, it seemed more... Like, I think we described earlier, it seemed more realistic or more likely mm-hmm. to be able to happen because there's nothing supernatural about it yep. and it's happening, right? And, you know, it kind of ties in with my fear of, like, the dead body stuff that ha- that came up in yeah, uh, Nightmare that a lot on Elm Street. There's, yeah, there's Nightmare a lot of corpses in this movie. Um, but, yeah, seeing the corpses, but, like, not just corpses, because, like, corpses on their own, it's like, right. it's all right. They put but they're also implied. Makeup like, there's a horrific scene in front of them, implied. Yeah, like, right? during that the on the table, scene. yeah. Yeah, like, they're... Even kind of throughout, like, yeah. they imply a lot of things that aren't there. Yeah. Right, yeah. but that lets your imagination <laughs> do the work, and then yeah. you get to right. dwell in what actually scares you, because yeah. they let you get there. Because you fill right? it in for the movie. Right, or, yeah. like, you know, that first scene, like I said before, it was so masterful how they introduced Hannibal. I love that they showed her the picture of what happened to the technician. Um, oh, yeah, and you don't see it. took off the yeah. mask, and you don't see what the photo is, so you're kind of terrified at what could have happened. Um, but yeah, like all the stuff about skinning really bothered me because that's understandable. Gross and like, <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, but like you know, there's that scene where he first captures um, the senator's daughter, mm-hmm. and he's like trying to gauge if she's the right size for his dress that he wants to make out of her skin, and that's yeah. like really messed up to think about. And he like cuts off her dress and is looking at her back, and you're wondering if he's gonna do it right then and there. And I don't want to see that stuff, <laughs> right? Uh, so I'm worried the entire time that they're gonna show us. Yeah. Um, So there's not only the implication of what could have happened to let us imagine, there's like the withholding of it actually happening and like us wondering if they're gonna. Mm -hmm. Um, The anticipation of it. Yeah, and that's also terrifying. Um, There's always, I mean, there's that scene with Hannibal like messing up the cops that's a little less realistic, but it's still terrifying because it's so gory. Yeah. but yeah, mostly the it was the Buffalo Bill stuff that scared me because it's the, like the skinning that, and all that. When he uh, approaches her with the the fake broken arm in the uh, couch, apparently that was Ed Gein's technique. That's oh, where yeah. they got it. Is that he would get people into his truck that same way? Just say, "Oh, I can't. I need to lift this thing up. I can't yeah. with my broken arm. Give me a hand." And then that's that for them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they yeah, lifted they lifted right that deep into from, my truck. <laughs> lifted that right from real life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's terrifying. Yes, it is. Yep. <laughs> Isn't it? So don't help anyone. Yeah. I, I would say that it didn't give me the same feeling of abject fear <clears throat> that um, maybe the axe murder scenes in The Shining did. Okay. Um, but it was still that general, like, constant feeling of creepiness and, mm-hmm. like, disturbingness that kind of lingered um, from this movie. It's a good one. Yeah. All right. Uh, okay, Crossman, we got another horror movie lined up. Yep. All right, what is it? So I, I chose my films in a specific order. Me too. Because I think seeing a movie like 
A Nightmare on Elm Street was important to understanding this film. Um, so I'd like to watch uh, Cabin in the Woods. You okay. took my pick. Yeah. I was going to do this one next. I yeah. really was. Yeah. Yeah. There we are. Yeah. You too. But I think yeah. we needed to see slasher films to get to Cabin in the Woods. This is a good movie. Um, which is a good movie on its own. You can yep. do it without seeing slasher films. I, but I think it makes it better I agree. if you watch slasher films first. Okay, I need to think of a new yeah. one now. I really was going to pick this for my the fifth week. Right. So I need, I need to think of something new. Sorry. Yep. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll have something. <laughs> All right. But uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Um, we have Cabin in the Woods coming up next week. If you like the show, please share it with people. We do not advertise. Um, our only advertisement is the Facebook post that we do every week. Um, so we lean on word of mouth to get people to listen to the show. So if you're liking what you hear, please share it with other movie fans. Um, it makes a big difference. And please comment, because the fun part is hearing what people think of the episode and what people think yeah, of the movie. Yeah, we're good about responding. Yeah, because we don't we don't work that hard during the day. So we're, <laughs> we're, just, we're just right there. Some of us do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, thanks for listening. And join us next week for Cabin in the Woods.